coming up next on Motherhood Unfiltered is going to be okay. You know, I was on disability, so I just like uh, took it easy and, you know, and, and tried, worked on myself and my, my recovery and everything. And uh, my final hospitalization was in 1993, January 1993. So basically after 15 hospitalizations for 1993, I've been out of the hospital for 30 years. Hi, this is Nikki from Motherhood Unfiltered is going to be okay. You're listening to another podcast episode. If you like the podcast and the episode, please write a review, share with a friend, or leave a comment. You can also visit my website at www.nikkiasherbowling.com or you can visit my YouTube channel. Thank you and enjoy a new episode from Motherhood Unfiltered is going to be okay. So you said that, now wait a minute, you told me earlier that your friends had a nickname for you. Tell me, oh, yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, in my company, I, uh, I, I'd say, I, I told them uh, because of my illness, I retired for 46 years and now I'm, I'm, I'm starting my career. So <laughs> I, I did everything backwards. So they, they call me Benjamin Butt in the company. <laughs> that, that, that would be the guy who like ages backwards and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, they call me Benjamin Button because I retired for <laughs> years and now I'm starting my career when all my peers are retiring. <laughs> I know they're probably like, uh, Dale, you know, you're supposed to do this the other way around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I love that. I am so glad that we finally got to talk. So, how can people get a hold of you? Well, my uh, my website is uh, www and that's dot dew, which is my initials, Dale Edward Walsh. So it's www.dewlivelove.net. Okay, I will put that in the show notes. And then I'm also developing, I am, I'm, I'm trying to develop, you know, like a giveaway of some sort to like entice people that, you know, give me their emails. And, and, you know, <laughs> so I'm yeah. On that, but, uh, so, and also my email, uh, my, my business email is at dalewall55 at yahoo.com. So people can like, can directly uh, contact me there too. And basically... If you go to my website, you can set up a, a discovery call, discovery call of like 20 to 30 minutes. And, you know, we, we can talk about your, your situation and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you're fit and everything. And uh, I would love to have as many people uh, contact me as possible. Well, I think that would be wonderful if you could help them. I mean, especially, you know. I mean, when I was taking classes in school, I had to take a behavioral health class. And one of the classes we talked about was people who are incarcerated with a mental illness and how they don't get the correct care that they need. And most of the time they get arrested because of their illness and not because of, you know, if they didn't have that illness, they wouldn't have been out, you know, trying to find right. food to eat because they went days and days without eating, you know? So is there some as a horror stories from the, you know, from there was this one mother and her son took her car, drove across Indiana, got into Illinois and ran out of money and so he got food from a gas station. They arrested him. And because he was an adult, 
they wouldn't let her come in and, you know, try to help him and make sure he got his medicine and all that. It was scary. I mean, it was really scary. And I just feel like we need more people like you to help us. Okay, can I mention one other thing? I, I always forget to mention this, but I have uh, my own YouTube show Tuesday at 3 p.m. Uh, it's called Straight, Sane, and Sober with Dale Walsh. And it's been, oh. it's been for about a year. And it's every Tuesday at 3 p.m. on YouTube. You can just, can just put Straight, Sane, and Sober on the uh, YouTube search and it'll come up. But uh, you can like go to the archives and get to know me better that way or yeah but uh do you do that live is that live or do you record it and post it okay i gotta check this out we're gonna see what dale's been up to (laughs) (laughs) well dale before we end our conversation what last piece of advice can you offer to my listeners well, I'm not sure if it's advice. It's more like a mindset and an attitude is, you know, love your loved one, have faith in the higher and the higher powers and have faith that this can be overcome. Have patience and expect, have patience and, you know, help them to see the thing, need help, and then, you know, empathize and, and uh, love the person that they're becoming rather than mourning the person that they was. Oh, I really love that, Dale. Thank you so much, Dale. I'm just, hopefully we can talk again in the future. I, I see love what, that. <laughs> see what you've been up to. <laughs> well, I, I'm right in the process of writing a book about what happened to Dormouth. So, and my editor, I already wrote what happened to Dormouth, but my editor wants me to write. She says, don't leave the people in the pit. So I have to write a second half of the book telling them, what's happened since then and how I got to the present situation. So, wow. Listen to that book, but as soon as, okay. uh, as soon as the book comes out, I'll let you know. Awesome. I was really love to hear about that. So, well, thank you, Dale. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Nikki. And thank you for having me and giving me a chance to spread my message. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, and I thank you for approaching me. I I, I wasn't aware of your uh, podcast, so when you approached me, I was like, okay, and when when I saw the name of the podcast, it said, limited, and I was more like, I've never been a father, much less a mother. (laughs) No, but you had a mother, and she probably worried about you. (laughs) Great. So just tell us a little bit of, you know, your situation and and how you got to coaching. Oh, okay. Well, it's a long story. It began in uh, at Dartmouth College in 1975. I had a very successful freshman year at Dartmouth College uh, in, in 1974, but I was doing a lot of drugs and uh, they, they finally caught up with me in the summer after my freshman year. And I came up with the, well, I, long story short, I was like hospitalized. One, one Tuesday, I was a successful Ivy League student. And the next Tuesday, I was in the Midville Hospital in New York City with the schizophrenic delusions of grandeur. So basically, I, I came up with what I thought was a great joke, which was, oh, and God. And then I would see how long it was before I <laughs> laughter because how could God be five foot eight? But unfortunately, uh, authority uh, authority heard me and I saw that flip my cookie. So uh, I, I ended up in a mental hospital for 13 weeks. And then I came to a uh, psych, private psychiatric program for uh, adolescents and young adults in New Jersey, where I spent five and a half years in intensive therapy, three, three sessions a week two group sessions of an hour and a half a week and I was hospitalized nine times for psychotic episodes during that time but so after five and a half years uh I got out and uh, I got my own apartment and I went back to college at Fairleigh Dickinson University which was you know like a quarter mile away from where I lived 
Uh, and this was in 1981, 1980, actually, when mm -hmm. I went back to college. And uh, I, I, I've been on my own for 41 years. And I graduated magna cum laude in English. I always wanted to be a writer. So mm -hmm. uh, the, one of the ironies of my illness is it gave me the chance to become the writer I always wanted to be because mm -hmm. I went on disability and I didn't, you know, and, and my parents were very supportive and they supported me financially, which I was very fortunate to be able to have that, you know, but uh, basically, right. so, uh, I wrote six novels before I graduated college and that, and then I turned to poetry and I have an archive with 5,000 poems now. Oh my goodness. I did not know that. I love poetry and I have a degree in English also, but it's professional technical writing. Because I didn't think I could make any money, you know, off literature. So, <laughs> well, but <laughs> well, that's amazing. So you you said your parents they helped you during that time. Uh yeah, they basically uh, supported me. So, um, mm -hmm. so and then I went on disability, and then when I graduated, actually, I I, I got into the entrepreneurial bug. And uh, I started my own business as a tutor for Fairleigh Dickinson students helping them write papers. So mm -hmm. I, asked, I helped write 300 papers in 10 semesters. And then I took basically just like, you know, I was on disability. So I just like uh, took it easy and, you know, and, and tried, worked on myself and my, my recovery mm -hmm. and everything. And mm -hmm. uh, my final hospitalization was in 1993. January 1993. So basically, after 15 hospitalizations for 1993, I've been out of the hospital for 30 years. Wow. So, what was it like coming out of your last hospital, you know, stay? I mean, what was different about that? That, I mean, did you just decide, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore? You know, or uh, was that, that was something part, different? That was, that was partly it, and also, uh, you know, in the process of those hospitalizations, I just got to know myself and my illness so well that, yeah, I mean, the last time, last six times I went to the hospital, I admitted myself because I knew I was psychotic, and yeah, you know, so after after that last hospital, I mean, I I say this proudly, I was hospitalized fifteen times, and I was discharged fifteen times. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was never put in a long-term situation or anything, but, right. you know, after the last hospitalization, it was just like, you know, I don't need the hospital anymore. I'm, I I used to use the hospital as a vacation spot because, you know, they, you know school would get, like, so intense and everything, and I would just, like, go to the hospital and, like, chill out and meet more people, and that was especially true when I was in the hospital or in the program because... Yeah, when I was in the program, it was like a very almost claustrophobic, you know, right. focused mental illness situation all the time. Yeah. That 18 people who, you know, were thinking about their illness all the time. So I would like, I would, it would cause me to go psychotic and I go to the hospital and I just like, you know, normalize it. Yeah. People not, you know, but well, I guess I didn't think of it from that point of view, but yeah, if you're you know in the program and it's like twenty four seven they want you focusing on you know your illness and the things about your illness, and I mean, you need a break from that, you need to be able to live your life, you know well, you need to live your life and it seemed that when I went to the hospital, I would get put in the hospital instead of putting the rest of the program in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you really are an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, yeah. I keep the, everybody in business. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, so you know, I've been I've been on my own for forty one years. I, I I'm a college graduate. As I said, I graduate magna cum laude, and. Uh, about three years ago, you know, I, I was looking for something not only to do, but also to generate income and everything. And I said, you know, why, why don't I pay my, my illness forward and, 
use the things that I've learned about my illness to help other people because, you know, I, I, I don't deal with the uh, people who are diagnosed. I deal with the families because I know how much hell I put my own family through, you know. I might not have yeah. at the time, but like looking back, you know, it, it, it was like a very stressful situation. And I, mm-hmm. you know, even though my parents like basically gave, you know, turned me over to the program and the doctor, I know they were constantly worried and even obsessed about my health. Yeah. You know, I, I was fortunate to have the program, but, you know, most people can't. Um, first off, Something like my program doesn't exist anymore. It was like a one in one in a lifetime thing type of thing because it was just like one program run by one doctor who cared about his patients enough to like dedicate his life to you know twenty four seven to their care. And oh, okay, yeah. And uh, so you know, there's there's nothing really like the program existing that I know of at this point. So basically, it's uh. I just wanted to like be able to help the families who I call it forgotten victims of mental illness because you know the patients have their their teams, they have their doctors, their social workers, psychologists, mm-hmm. and their people. But what I realized for a long time is that the families, you know, especially the mothers and, and the fathers, were were like totally and that I meant especially with HIPAA laws and everything, you know, done. Yeah. They can be totally in the dark about what's going on with their loved ones. And mm-hmm. just like, you know, my goal is not only to like help enlighten them about the illness and how it, it transpires, but also to give them hope. And like a lot, a lot of people tell me that I, that I've worked with, you know, they just say, thank you, Dale, you've given us hope. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, that, that's such a cool Yeah. Thing. Right. Right. I can totally understand that. So do you have like your number one advice that you could give to, you know, families, you know, parents or siblings? Well, basically, I, I say there, there are like three or four things there. Have there. Love is one is first of all, faith is another and patience, patience is critical. And uh, just like being able to detach yourself. Uh, I mean, I talk about the, the difference between response and reaction a lot and you know a lot of times when when a loved one you know says something i'm in for instance you know this is might seem extreme but it's not that extreme it's you know you are my mother you know you are my mother you know you're someone else and you you did something with my mother and yeah the, the first reaction is to you know grief and anger and say how right but, you know, rather than reacting, you know, is just give that knee jerk reaction. Got to take that like millisecond and say, this is the illness talking. And this is, this isn't my son. This isn't my daughter speaking. This is someone I don't know. And they need help. And yeah. Instead of saying, you know, how can you say that? You say, tell me why you think that, for instance. Right. And, and Maintaining calm, you know, I talk about a core serenity that you have to have. I mean, yeah, both as a patient and as a parent, as a family member. And, you know, the more you can cultivate that core serenity or uh, peace, then the less effective you're going to be and the more likely you are to respond and react. Wow, that is powerful. I mean, because when someone would say something like that to me, my first reaction would be to give them what for about it you know how dare you talk say that about me (laughs) that that would just make it worse (laughs) right well that's the thing i I mean you know that's like the nature of the illness it's it it builds upon negative reactions and you know and then you want i I mean subconsciously maybe but you want that bad reaction so that you can like escalate your own illness and say the things that you know, and this is especially true, you know, with delusions and, you know, paranoia and stuff, because mm-hmm. it's just like, you have to have patience and, you know, and if you can build, I mean, the more you can like build bridges to communication with your loved one who's used, you know, mm-hmm. the better it's going to be. So, you know, instead of 
like just reacting and sitting, you know, or saying, I, I mean, to, to give a practical example, a lot of, a lot of people with, with uh, mental illness don't take showers. Right. They, they, they're, they're self yeah. with them. And yes. that was my beliefs too, actually. So, you know, I can talk, <laughs> but, you know, instead of like saying, you know, people are going to like be alienated and, you know, yeah. you're smelling and stuff. You really yeah. have to like, you know, well, okay, what can I do to like get Joe to like take a shower? And, right. you know, you gotta be creative. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Joe loves a lasagna. You know, they, they, I'll pick you lasagna every Friday night if you take three. <laughs> Just start to build routines and start mm-hmm. to build routines. And, you know, and, you know, I mean, this is something I came up recently with. But, uh, you know, for instance, if you're into meditation, just like try to, try to, like meditate with your loved one for like five minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. And just just build those little rituals and those little routines that build the bridges towards uh, you know, towards uh compatibility. Because one thing that I found is that people mourn the the loved the the child or the, the loved ones that's been affected by the mental illness. I mean yeah. like it's actually it's all it's almost like a living desperate person. Yeah. And then they remember the person that they mm-hmm. were, the loving person or the you know, the funny person mm-hmm. they were or the illness interact intervene. And they say yeah. they they say, I mean, he's gone, you know, and, and there's there's a sense of grief and, and yeah of acceptance. But what I really encourage getting try to transform people to think is you know, rather than mourn the person who's gone, get to know the person who is. Mm-hmm, yeah. The new person and mm-hmm. and learn to love them for the person for the person that they were, but also for the person they will become. Right. Yeah, that is such good advice. Like I said, I can relate to that because sometimes I would be like, Well, where's my sweet little boy? <laughs> you know. And he's like, well, I'm still here, but I'm like, well, can I see him? <laughs> so, so would you say that having routines is important to recovery? I, I, well, when I was in the program, you know, my, my doctor was always talking about routines. That, you know, get, get, just like getting into routines where, you know, where you can feel. Well, one thing I talked about is that the battle between the healthy and the and the ill side, and mm-hmm. really want to get build routines that like the healthy side that dominate the ill side, and then mm-hmm. you know that that's basically what happened when I stopped going to the hospital is that my healthy side was just like too healthy for my illness to be able to come through anymore, and I was you know and, but the routines that you can create you know I mean what. Even if it's just like uh, having dinner every night, you know, at the same time, I'm at, at the program, we had dinner, everybody had, had had to have dinner at the same time, 6, 15, every night, and we would like get converge as a group and, you know, it would be a communal dinner and everything. But, you know, just, you know, if you can like, as a family, like sit down and, you know, have a routine and say, okay, well, we're going to have dinner at 6 o'clock. And, We want the family to be together. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, it's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started.
And mm-hmm. it's also uh, another a collateral situation is, you know, the siblings, the siblings of the of the person who's sick. You know, because everybody thinks about the parents and everything, but mm-hmm. siblings are, are extremely affected by it because they, yeah. they feel they feel they're losing the love of their parents because their parents are so focused on the diagnosis that they yeah. don't get time and the attention that they need, and that builds resentment and jealousy and envy and you know and anger. Not only mm-hmm. towards parents, but also towards the uh, diagnosis, which just like makes the situation worse. So, what advice do you have for siblings? I mean, you know, what can we tell them? Well, be loving, you know, and try to understand that. I, I mean, the general advice for all family members is realize that there's an illness going on, and yeah. the illness is going to, you know, have play be dominant sometimes. And you aren't going to be able to understand it, but you have to be able to understand that this is a person that you love. Right, right. So tell us about your live love method. What is that? What is, I know it's an acronym. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, live love stands for uh, listen, integrate, validate, and explore. It, it's like an eight-step eight program that I do in my uh, coaches. Like learn, integrate, validate, and explore. And then let okay. the lecturer value and express. So it's basically a, a process by which you learn about the illness and you integrate what you learned to right. take it back. And then you validate, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And then you mm-hmm. begin to explore with your loved one, you know, mm-hmm. what, what they think is what's working for them. And then mm-hmm. the, the next part, the love is uh, less sentence observe value and express and that's right. like uh, you know learning to communicate with your loved one but also learning to communicate with yourself and knowing what you need because yeah you, you have to can't become codependent on your loved one you have to be able to have your own life and say to yourself you know i'm going to get a little movie today i'm not going to worry about joey you know yeah it's like a lot, a lot of people, they're so concerned about their loved ones' behavior that they can't leave the house for two hours to go shopping. And yeah, you have to have your own life. You have to right be able to say, you know, have enough faith that I'm going to do something for myself. Whether it's go out to lunch with a friend, or you know, mm-hmm. or go to a movie, or even go shopping, you know, or go mm-hmm. go buy shoes or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, you have to be able to like have your own life despite the fact of your concern for your loved one. Wow, that's really good advice. Um, because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. You Absolutely. know, it, it's like the whole the the example that they do on when you're on an airplane. You know, if you have you put on your oxy, oxygen max first, then you can help other people put theirs on. So right. I like that advice. So the families that you've helped, has their, you know, child or whoever the relative is that has mental illness, have they said, okay, I'm so glad that you are working with Dale because he's really helping us in our situation. Well, actually, I, I have had that, that situation. Uh, I To tell you the truth, the Nitsi Ice, I haven't like I haven't like been able to do my whole live love program yet. Most people get like <laughs> on, you know, and then I'll I'll talk to them like for one or two sessions. Like they'll be in the crisis, and I'll help them get through the crisis, and then they yeah or they they sort of say thank you and you know and yeah. ask guitar. But you know, on the other hand, they always say you know not only thank you for giving us hope, but also. You were the only one who understood. You're the only one yes. who was there for us when, when we were, when we needed you. And, uh, right. So, so basically, you know, my goal is to help people get to a point where they can deal with crises themselves, and and they don't need my help. Right. And instead of just like coming to me when their child has a psychotic episode or at mm-hmm. the hospital or or 
runs away or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. My, my, my goal really is to help transform people so that they can, like, deal with the situation because it's not going to go away. I'm a schizophrenic mm -hmm. and the, I, I, I used to say it's not that sentence, but life's sentence. And, you know, people mm -hmm. are going to have to deal with this for a long time. And yeah, just like coming to me in moments of crisis, I want them to come to me before the crisis so that when the crisis comes, they can deal with it and, and, mm -hmm. and do their best, not only for themselves, but for their loved ones. Yeah, I think that might be something that most human beings do is everything's going hunky-dory, and so they're not worrying about the future, you know, or things that might happen until something happens, you know, and then they're like, okay, who, who can I call to help me out here, <laughs> you know? So, um, so... Now, the, another thing that we were talking about earlier was the finances. Uh, yeah, so, well, uh, about a year ago, I, I came across a company called Virtuity, which is dedicated to uh, fighting financial illiteracy. And one, the reason I joined the company is because I saw it as an opportunity to integrate financial help into my coaching business because uh, you know, mental illness can be absolutely financially devastating. I, I'm at this bed we don't have, you know, insurance, proper insurance or, you know, even if you do, you know, I'm at, you know, the, the price of a hospitalization can be life-changing. So yeah, it, yeah, it's awful. It, what I've learned is, you know, I've, how money works, my, my company, Fertility teaches how money works and how to invest. And we, our, our motto is no family left behind. And we're really like trying to reach the 98% of Americans who can't afford a professional financial advisor, like with Merrill Lynch, your gold. Yeah. Black, you know, because uh, I don't know if you know this, Nikki, but, you know, basically the, the big financial services firms, they require at least like $250,000 in liquid assets before you can even sit down with like, <laughs> And well, and that leaves me out of the pool. <laughs> yeah, as I said, we're, we're, we're working towards 98% of Americans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so basically, I want to like, I, I, I joined Virtuity in order to be able to help people not only, you know, with the emotional and the psychic and the uh, yeah. mental situation, but also financial wellness means mental wellness. Right. Uh, so, I'm still basically a trainee and a virtuity, but I, I, yeah. do, I do have a few tricks and, you know, my mentors and uh, I am in close contact with my mentors and they're really experts in this. But, uh, you know, so basically I, I'm working towards integrating my financial knowledge into my mental health knowledge. Yeah, that would really be helpful, especially for families who... You know, like you said, they may have insurance, but even with insurance, the cost, you know, after insurance pays their part is still sometimes astronomical. And don't even get me started. Why in the world do I have to pay a deductible? I have been paying you every, giving you my money, every paycheck. <laughs> right. And then it's seven before I can even use it, I have to pay you more money. So, <laughs> well, then I, this was back in like 1993, but the last time I was hospitalized, I was hospitalized for four days. And luckily, I I had high good insurance, but basically, my bill for four days was fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's it's uh, insane. It it's is. crazy. It, you know, and it's not as if you have a choice that you you know we we're. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't need this, you know. I mean, it's not like cosmetic surgery, you know, where uh -huh. you get it nose or something. But <laughs> medical, you know, to create for mental health to be able to, you know. And that that's the other thing is that, you know, as it, time is going on, you know, this is something that I go on about a little bit too is, uh, you know, the doctors are so overwhelmed, especially with COVID and the pandemic and everything. I mean, not only are we in a, 
financial literacy crisis. We're also in a much bigger mental health crisis because doctors mm-hmm. and, and therapists aren't enough. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the type of, the type of therapy I had in, in the program is unheard of now, you know? Uh, yeah. For the $5,000 a week, you know? So, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, most doctors, you're lucky if you can see them for 30 minutes once a month. And right. they'll get, like, write you a prescription. And that's the other thing that I uh, go on, I, that I have a, 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 a pick a bone with this. You know, just the doctors, the pharmaceutical companies are coming up with so many new drugs for mental illness that there's no way the doctors can keep up with them. And mm-hmm. so doctors are forced to follow the prescription uh, recommendations to the pharmaceutical companies and to create the cookie cutter situation where we can mm-hmm. very inappropriate because uh, one of my clients, she was a, you know, anesthesiologist. She was a professional doctor herself. She said, you know, her, her, her son was like totally over medicated, but there was nothing. Yeah. Because the doctor did first off, the doctor wasn't in touch with them enough to know what was going on. And secondly, the doctor was just following the recommendations of pharmaceuticals and yeah. it was appropriate dosage. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that because they definitely need educated because I know one medication that my son dealt with caused him to gain weight and and some other things. And he's like, Mom, I'm eating all the time. And so we finally, you know, his doctor was like, okay, we finally have this new medication. You know, like he was waiting for them to approve it, for the insurance to approve it, to give it to him. And he's lost over 40 pounds since he's been on it, you know, because the other medication just did something to his frontal lobe that just made him want to eat all the time. You know, I, it was well, crazy. That happened to me. I, I was very fortunate. I've been on one medication for basically 40 years, but there was a period uh-huh. for where I, I figured out my medication was a health drug and I stopped. I, I wanted something else to replace it. And I, Mm-hmm. I got that for two years and I gained like 45 pounds in, in that mm-hmm. time when I was taking that medication. And it's like, you know, ultimately I went back to my original medication and I've been fine with it since then. Yeah. But, you know, the drugs are being produced at such a clip, at such a pace that, you know, I, I don't think they're being properly screened for side effects. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's my opinion. But, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm great. I'm sure they have a lot of good effects, but, you know, basically for 50, 50 to 75 years of for the first years of uh, chemicals, uh, medications, there were five medications. There was Thorazine, Stelazine, Haldol, Prolixin, and Trilobon. Mm-hmm. And those five, yeah. and they came up with Clozapam, and those five medications work for like 85% of people. Mm-hmm. But since then, they come up with second generation medications, which are, yep. you know, and, you know, and it's just like this, there's subject store of choice that, you know, doctors are unable to properly medicate. I do believe in the, in the necessity of medication. I mean, I feel the medication saved my life. So I'm not putting down medication. I'm just putting down, you know, this, this like wholesale production of medication where doctors are right. unable to yeah. take it. Right, right. No, I, no, trust me, we believe in medication too. So what would advice would, you know, you give a loved one who the medication that, you know, their relative is taking is not working? But. Uh, well, try something else. I, I mean, yeah. I just. Just be straightforward with your doctor, you know? Yeah. I mean, but, but, but the catch-22 of that is the patient has to ask rather than the family, you know? So, right. Of, yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but basically, you know, one of the things that's essential to recovery is self-awareness. And they, there's this thing called agnostic note here, which is 
means that you're unable to comprehend that you're mentally ill. That affects 50% of people with serious mental illness. So it's a big problem because if you think you're sane and logical, even if you're acting psychotic, you aren't going to want to take medication or see a doctor. So yeah, uh, you know, self-awareness, my process of, of my own recovery has been when a constant like increasing self-awareness and now that's why the last time, six times I went to the hospital, I admitted myself because mm-hmm. I knew I was psychotic and I knew I, I, I could see it in myself, but you know, it takes work. And that's why my motto is recovery is always an option. It's not, it's not a reality. Yeah. It's an option because a person has to be willing to work and, un- and first of all, understand that there needs to be work done. Right. Exactly. I mean, like, don't give up on yourself. You know, I mean, just because you have a bad moment and you come out of that moment doesn't mean that you failed. You know, you've actually, you know, championed yourself because you got back off, you know, off the ground and you dusted yourself off and you're still going. So I ha- I do have a question. What would your advice be for someone who is not aware that they have a mental illness? I mean, is that something that can be... Well, there's, there's an excellent book about this, and this is where Agnes and Noja is actually discussed in, in detail. The book is called I'm Not Sick and I Don't Need Help. And it's by mm-hmm. this doctor named Dr. Javier Amador, A-M-A-D-O-R. And mm-hmm. he had a schizophrenic brother for who for 17 years even though he didn't believe he was sick he took medication because you know because the family worked with him and mm-hmm. you know and said okay well let's talk about scenarios what do you not like the person says i don't want to go back to the hospital yes. okay well let how can we work to get that wish to come true so right that is saying you know, you have to take your medication or you're going to get sick or something. Rather, like, approach it, like, swear, apply the side and say, well, you know, let's try the medication and see how you feel. And that's another point that I was going to make is that one of the problems with medication is that, you know, people take it for six months and they feel fine and they think <laughs> And then they, they'll, they'll stop taking the medication and two weeks later they're, I think we've all done that, Dale. (laughs) Well, I I just, I mean, that's why I've stopped it a lot of times when I was in the room. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, so that, so that reminds me of your earlier comment where routines and I don't know if you said it's like treatment, yeah, rituals. So, and then you talked about bribing somebody, you know, with lasagna to get them. Right. Well, I actually, when I first came up with it, I, I mean, it's not really a bribe, it's a reward. You know, there's this big difference between a bribe and a reward. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay, so let's call it a reward. But when I first came up with this idea, I, I don't know if you're, if you, is it your son affected or, Nikki? Uh, is yeah, son or, oh, yeah, it's a it's a affective disorder. Yeah, Did, does he smoke cigarettes? Uh uh-uh. uh Okay, because because well, a, a lot of schizophrenics like that cigarettes are they're, they're like lifeline to reality. <laughs> so you know, when I first came up with the idea of rewards and stepday and lasagna, I'd say, you know, just say. If you take a shower three times a week, then I'll give you a pack of cigarettes on Friday. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I was at my pulmonologist one time. I said, uh, I gave up. I casually mentioned that I'd given up smoking cigarettes in 2000. And her jaw literally dropped and said, what? <laughs> I gave up cigarettes. And she said, I have never heard of a person <laughs> giving up cigarettes. So. Well, I'm glad he never started. <laughs> uh, I, I, you're very fortunate because. But, but I know what you're being because there are times when I need him to do something. And so in the past, I've done, given him like an instant reward. So that was what worked with him growing up was, okay, I need you to take a bath 
or take a shower and wash your hair. And if you do, we'll do this, you know, something that I know that he liked to do, you know, so yeah. I, so, I mean, yeah, you totally have hit the, you know, the nail on the head or the head on the nail, <laughs> whatever yeah. that's saying. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but that's right. You know, I mean, people, people work for rewards a lot more than they work for anything else. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you make the reward, the benefit and the reward greater than the pain you're going to have to go through to do that, then mm -hmm. they'll do it. So, yeah. Well, I'm so excited about this, Dale. I mean, I just, just cannot, I'm kind of over the moon about it because it's just really inspirational. So you said that, now wait a minute, you told me earlier that your friends had a nickname for you. Tell me, oh, yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, in my company, I, uh, I, I'd say, I, I told them uh, because of my illness, I retired for 46 years and now I, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting my career. So <laughs> I, I did everything backwards. So they, they call me Benjamin Butt in the company. <laughs> that, that, that would be the guy who like ages backwards and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, they call me Benjamin Button because I retired for six years and now I'm starting my career when all my peers are retiring. <laughs> I know they're probably like, uh, Dale, you know, you're supposed to do this the other way around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I love that. I am so glad that we finally got to talk. So, how can people get a hold of you? Well, my uh, my website is uh, www and that's dot d e w, which is my initials, Dale Edward Walsh. So it's www dot dot net. Okay, I will put that in the show notes. And then I'm also developing, I am, I'm, I'm trying to develop, you know, like a giveaway of some sort to like entice people that, you know, give me their emails. And, and, you know, <laughs> so I'm yeah. On that, but, uh, so, and also my email, uh, my, my business email is at dalewall55 at yahoo.com. So people okay. can like, can directly uh, contact me there too. And basically... If you go to my website, you can set up a, a discovery call, discovery call of like 20 to 30 minutes. And, you know, we, we can talk about your, your situation and, uh, you know, see if you're fit and everything. And uh, I would love to have as many people uh, contact me as possible. Well, I think that would be wonderful if you could help them. I mean, especially, you know, I mean, when I was taking classes in school, I had to take a behavioral health class. And one of the classes we talked about was people who are incarcerated with a mental illness and how they don't get the correct care that they need. And most of the time they get arrested because of their illness and not because of, you know, if they didn't have that illness, they wouldn't have been out, you know, trying to find right. food to eat because they went days and days without eating, you know? So is there some of the horror stories from the, you know, from there was this one mother and her son took her car, drove across Indiana, got into Illinois and ran out of money. And so he got food from a gas station. They arrested him. And because he was an adult, they wouldn't let her come in and, you know, try to help him and make sure he got his medicine and all that. It was scary. I mean, it was really scary. And I just feel like we need more people like you to help us. Okay, can I mention one other thing? I, I always forget to mention this, but I have uh, my own YouTube show, Tuesday. At 3 p.m., uh, it's called Straight, Sane, and Sober with Dale Walsh. And it's been oh. for about a year. And it's every Tuesday at 3 p.m. on YouTube. You can just, can just put Straight, Sane, and Sober on the uh, YouTube search and it'll come up. But uh, you can, like, 
go to the archives and get to know me better that way or yeah but uh do you do that live is that live or do you record it and post it okay i gotta check this out we're gonna see what dale's been up to (laughs) (laughs) well dale before we end our conversation what last piece of advice can you offer to my listeners well, I'm not sure if it's advice. It's more like a mindset and an attitude. Is you know, love your loved one, have faith in the higher and the higher powers, and have faith that this can be overcome. Have patience and expect have patience and you know, help them to see the thing, need help, and then you know, empathize and and uh, love the person that they're becoming rather than mourning the person that they lost. Oh, I really love that, Dale. Thank you so much, Dale. I'm just, hopefully we can talk again in the future. I, I love what, that. <laughs> see what you've been up to. <laughs> well, I, I'm right in the process of writing the book about what happened to Dormouth. So, and my editor, I already wrote what happened to Dormouth, but my editor wants me to write. She says, don't leave the people in the pit. So I have to write a second half of the book telling them, what's happened since then and how I got to the present situation. So, wow. Listen to that book, but as soon as, okay. uh, as soon as the book comes out, I'll let you know. Awesome. I was really love to hear about that. So, well, thank you, Dale. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Nikki. And thank you for having me and giving me a chance to spread my message. I appreciate it. <laughs> Did you love this episode of Motherhood Unfiltered is going to be okay? Click the link in the description to check out my mixtape list already set up to get you started. If you enjoyed my show Motherhood Unfiltered, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and be sure to come back next week for another episode of Motherhood Unfiltered. Until then, this is Nikki, the host of Motherhood Unfiltered, and don't forget, it's going to be okay. This podcast was created by Nikki Asher Bowling. It was produced and recorded by Nikki Asher Bowling and edited by Craig Patterson. Motherhood Unfiltered is Going to Be Okay is a product of Boppers Media Production.